Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Tony Reader, who's president and CEO of Tectonic Metals, who are a mineral exploration company focused on the acquisition, exploration, discovery and development of mineral sources from district scale projects in politically stable jurisdictions that have potential world class ore bodies. Um, and some of these areas that jurisdictions that they focus on are Canada and the US and maybe more. Um, Tony's been in uh, mining for 20 years plus and he, he's here to talk about uh, Teptonic and how how they've developed as a company and what the future holds for them. So that's welcome Tony to the podcast. How you doing Tony? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. No, and I appreciate you uh, taking the time, obviously, just speaking off air. Um, it's very early in the morning over there in uh, in Canada, <laughs> so appreciate you getting up early. It is, but you know what helps in the morning is a good cup of coffee and your voice. <laughs> you got a <laughs> Love the accent. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, right, so wondered if you can give uh, our audience an overview of yourself or background of yourself. Um, so probably when you um, studied and when you got into the mining industry to sort of current day? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And um, it, it still surprises me to this day. And someone was asking me, actually, a good friend of mine about, um, you know, how do you find your passion in life? And I'm like, uh, yeah, I was like, you know, there's no secret sauce. There's no magic formula to, to finding it. I think it's, it's in you somewhere deep inside and maybe a certain event uncovers it or brings it forward. And for, for me, that that event, and it wasn't, I, w- I didn't know it at the time, but that event was uh, when I was 21 years old, um, that was 1995. I met a person um, at an actual nightclub and he told me about a mining stock. <laughs> you know, he goes, you should look at this mining stock. We started talking about stocks and I didn't do any investing whatsoever. So my, my first ever investment uh, as, a 20, as, as Tony Retta was uh, I bought a mining stock and I made a bit of money. Go figure, hey, it can happen once in a while. And uh, that got me pretty uh, intrigued and excited to learn a bit more about mining and off I went and, and I did that. So fast forward uh, to 1997, Brex happened and uh, Brex taught me just how dumb of an investor I was. And it also um, enlightened me that the mining sector is not all uh, all roses and sunny days that there there actually are some companies that are maybe not as credible doing some things that aren't uh, above code and i actually got really turned off by the mining sector and then um long story short over the next few years i i sort of just watched as an observer and then uh, in 2005 I, i wanted to um pursue a different type of career i was working for my father in a few different businesses that we had as a family and uh, I met uh, an individual that actually was starting a new company um, through a colleague of mine and said, hey, I want to get back into the mining sector. But this time, I actually want to go work for a credible company and possibly make a difference. And in my first interview was with a gentleman from Kamenak Gold Corporation. 
and uh, he he liked me. We had we had four interviews. I, I met two of the directors, the chairman. It was a private entity at that point in time. And off I went. I got hired as an investor relations in 05. We took Kamenak Public and had, uh, you know, it wasn't, again, it wasn't, everyone hears about the success there, but, you know, we, we had a few wins along the way, but it wasn't until 2010 where we made a uh, our, our initial big discovery at a project called the Coffee Gold Project. We actually hit on the very first drill hole. This project was never drilled prior to us, so I was involved in the acquisition of that, that discovery, and then the delineation of 5 million plus ounces of gold and a robust feasibility study. And that company and project was acquired in 2016 for $520 million. Um, so that's kind of a bit about my background. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not a mining person. I'm not, technically I'm not a geologist. I have a business background and um, what I loved about Kamenak, uh, you know, the relationships with the people was phenomenal, but it was my university. Someone that really didn't know a whole lot about mining. I learned every facet and to watch a company grow from moose pasture to something that was potentially going to become a mine was phenomenal. And, and raising capital, you know, I, I got to meet all the players and, you know, we raised about 165 million during that endeavor. And I also have to give props to the CEO at that time for actually, you know, he had a PhD in economic geology and I was eager to learn and I, I wanted to get on the field. And so um, he gave me the opportunity, every project to go out in the field and actually work as a, as a geologist, like taking soil samples, lake sediment sampling, mapping, prospecting, and, uh, and then also just learning through osmosis and technical meetings. I really got a handle on, on some of the technical aspects and, that's actually kind of where my heart is at. I'm not technically a geologist, but I love geology. I love being in the field. And uh, I love everything about this, about this industry, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, it's, it's all there. So yeah. there you go. That's, that's kind of my background. No, that's, that's an interesting uh, story. And it all started in a nightclub. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> who would have thought, you know, yeah, there, I guess there is some good things that could come out of that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it all started. And uh, yeah. So anyways, a drink, yeah. an alcohol drink, and, and the nightclub, and a and the conversation. I don't even know who that individual was. Like I, I haven't met, <laughs> followed up with him, but you know, it 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 sort of uh, just you know, it's easy in hindsight to look back and start connecting the dots. But that's yeah, how it all happened. Well, you never know; he might be listening. Whoever yeah. that is, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I wonder if you can give us an overview of uh, tectonic mm-hmm. metals, then. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I took all those past experiences, the Brex follow, my Kamenak endeavors and just being an investor in the space. And like I said, at Kamenak, uh, one of the best things that came out of it was, was the relationship aspects. So we, we knew we had something special with, with some, of the, some of the team members at Kamenak and we wanted to do something different. We wanted to um, go back to organic growth exploration and also you know, put an emphasis on risk management. And so we started this company with the people in mind and we handpicked various individuals. Um, it was Ira Thomas, myself, uh, Rob Carpenter, Alison Armstrong, Kurt Freeman. And once we had the team intact, we're like, okay, what do we want to do? You know, like we knew we wanted to go into Alaska. We loved the, the fact that there's a very um, well-known, respected uh, native corporations and we wanted to work with them on their land. We thought that was much more of a streamlined process than working on state or federal land. And we designed this business model centered around risk management reward as well. And, um, you know, when I say risk management, you know, junior mining is or exploration is like 99% 
risk. It's 99% failure. The failure, the norm is to fail. So why not focus on that and try to mitigate as much of that as possible and look at all the obstacles that typical junior mining companies face at various stages of the life cycle. And let's try to, you know, look at those obstacles and address them at the forefront. So we, you know, we engage early. Our, our agreements, um, our property agreements have production agreements. They're full-scale production agreements. Uh, we work on, uh, as you prefer to be called in Alaska, on native-owned land. Um, <clears throat> we've also have, are backed by Indigenous people, Native people. And <clears throat> Tectonic is really there trying to find the next tier one discovery. So <clears throat> we're in a great jurisdiction. We focus on big things. Um, we've had success with the drill bit already, and we're going into the field this year to have a, another exciting drill season. Okay. Um so what excites you about, um, obviously, some of the projects you're involved in at TIBS um, and 70 Mile? What, um, when you look at these projects, you know, um, I see scale. I see uh, grade gets me excited. Uh, that's uh, anytime you see visible gold or splashy gold numbers, it kind of like, you know, your ears perk up. And <clears throat> they have um, all of our projects have been sort of explored a bit in the past, but not the questions still haven't been answered. And so we're, we're, we're going back in to answer those questions, but also apply a different type of thinking, some new models, if you will. And I think there's a real opportunity there. And so they're also vastly underexplored. So there's a few boxes ticked that, uh, you know, gets me excited. Okay. Um, so I wonder if you can sort of uh, um, elaborate on the common mineralization mm -hmm. you see at uh, Tibbs um, versus the, uh, what you found at Pogo. Yeah, so the, the, the gold mineralization that we see at Tibbs, um, so to this day, um, the Good Pasture District is what hosts the Pogo mine in our project as well. And Tibbs is the only project that actually has produced high-grade gold mineralization and drilling that is akin to Pogo-style mineralization. So <clears throat> it's also worth noting that Tibbs was actually discovered by the same entity that discovered Pogo. So when they discovered Pogo, it was called the Stone Boy Joint Venture at that time. It was a consortium of three mining companies. They went out and um, earned in or optioned our TIBS project because that's how much of a lookalike it is. So the gold mineralization is very similar. Um, not at all the zones, but um, at Grey Lead, it definitely is. And <clears throat> we've been able to find uh, different variations of Pogo style mineralization and also a new style of mineralization on the property as well. Um, last year, we made a very concerted effort to actually apply the new updated POGO model. So this mo model was updated at POGO in 2013. No one had our property in 2013. So we said, okay, let's actually specifically target the NYSEP rocks, which is the exact same host rock as POGO. Let's actually go target um, the USGS, the United States Geological Survey. These map low angle thrust faults, which have the opportunity to represent low angle veins. And we've actually produced some pretty remarkable gold and soil anomalies that now have the exact same geochemistry as, as the Pogo mineralization situated on mapped low angle thrust faults in the right host rocks. And we're going to go drill test those this year. So okay. there's, yeah. Uh, I was going to say, whereabouts are these exactly in, um, so in, in what, the, the actual We're region? situated about, uh, Tibbs is probably about 30 kilometers away from Pogo. Okay. Uh, and whereabouts in Canada is this? Or sorry, Tibbs in general situated about 30 kilometers away from uh, Pogo. Right. And, and whereabouts in Canada? Oh, sorry. Well, we're actually situated in Alaska. Okay. 
Yeah, yeah. So Tibbs and Pogo are situated in Alaska, the good pasture mining district. Right. Okay. Um, and obviously the other uh, prospect, which is 70 mile, um, that obviously seems a promising target. So mm-hmm. um, just wonder if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, you know, part of our approach to targeting large scale tier one type uh, potential projects, you know, you definitely want to target greenstone belts and 70 miles of greenstone belt, you know, in Alaska as well, that hasn't been explored since the mid 1990s. And <clears throat> what's interesting is that they actually didn't view the property as a greenstone belt, the previous explorer. Uh, so that's an opportunity unto itself. We're applying a high grade shear zone model to the property. And we're also going back to where <clears throat> they actually had some success with the drill bed, some really good success actually. Um, but they actually dropped the property in 1997. And if you recall earlier in this podcast, I mentioned that's when Brex happened. So yeah. when Brex unfolded in, in North, well, all over the world, but it's more specifically to um, junior mining companies, let's just say in Vancouver or the Vancouver Stock Exchange at that time, they got decimated. Capital became very hard to come by and this company ended up uh, sort of shutting its doors. So we're going back in to pick up where they left off and then also apply this, this new model that, we're, uh, that we've, uh, we've come up with here. And uh, there's you know, five grams over 15 meters in one drill hole that's sitting all by itself, open long strike. There's 1.34 over 44 meters that's you know, sitting all by itself. So there's some low hanging fruit opportunities. There's some new soil anomalies. And we're literally just focusing you know, on a, maybe 10% of the property. It's, it's 150,000 acres in size, 40 kilometers long. And we're only in like a, a, a six kilometer portion of the property. So it's still very much early days, but a lot of targets. And again, also going to be drill tested this year. And, um, you know, anytime you're drilling, it's exciting. So yeah, so and, and wait for those discoveries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, can you tell us more about the uh, partnership with, uh, is it Doan Limited um, and yeah. how that came about? Yeah, Doan Limited. So okay. as, I, as I mentioned, we, we wanted, you know, as part of our again, approach trying to find big scale, high grade deposits, you know, the jurisdiction is important, not only from a geological perspective, but also from a like, government social perspective. Um, you know, what is the permitting like as well? So <clears throat> Alaska ticked a lot of boxes for us. It was completely untapped. And as I mentioned earlier, we wanted to work with the, the local native corporations of the First Nations. We were inspired by our previous agreements and, and work that we've done and, and working on, on native owned land. And it's a much more streamlined process, providing that they're pro-mining, you know, pro-business. So <clears throat> we had a few areas in mind that geologically were intriguing um, and they were situated on Doyon land. And so we are one of our, our founders, Kurt Freeman, um, had a relationship already with Doyon. And so I said to Kurt, hey, I want to go meet the president or I want to go meet their VP. Um, let's start building a relationship with them because they're the largest private landholder in Alaska. And there's so much opportunity on, on, their, on their land that we need to start getting access to to some of this opportunity. And Alaska, like other parts of the United States, doesn't have a public mineral database. So you need you need relationships with them. You need to get access into their data room um, or their, their filing cabinet, whatever the case may be. So we literally, uh, he set up a meeting and we walked in myself, never, never met them ever prior, walked into their office in uh, Fairbanks, Alaska, and sat down with the, the vice president 
the VP, Vice President of Lands, and introduced myself. And, you know, he he, he was probably a bit wary of, of, of me being a junior miner. And, you know, they've, they've had dealings in the past with some junior miners and, and also some, some, some major mining companies as well. But uh, mining wasn't really their focus at that moment in time. Um, it, they were pretty much focused on oil and gas and other resources and other opportunities. Um, so that's how it just started with the conversation. Hi, my name is Tony. This is what we're about. And, and probably took uh, you know four or five meetings before we really started getting comfortable with each other. We signed a non-disclosure agreement on a few projects of interest. And, um, you know, we ended up acquiring two projects uh, shortly, well, you know, probably 10 months later, actually. So um, we also, part of our process is to go meet the, the local communities. And so we actually invited, um, we asked them if we could go fly down and they're like, well, why? And so we, we explained the rationale and, you know, the four founders went in a, and um, the four founders and our uh, VP at that time, Alison Armstrong, we went down to uh, a local community and introduced ourselves and, you know, they didn't know anything about us and said, hey, you know, are you open to mining? Um, are you open to the mineral exploration more specifically? Um, you know, how can we work together? So on and so forth. And it turned out to be a great, great relationship as well. So that's kind of like the, the crux of how it all started with our native corporation partner. Yeah. And how how is Alaska open to mining now? I mean, obviously you mentioned um, they probably weren't so just previously, how 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 do you how do you think now? Are they uh, are they pretty open to to mining and maybe more um, companies coming into the area? Yeah, I, I definitely think that's that's always been the case. You know that the, like any like a lot of jurisdictions, you know that everything gets all lumped into one thing. You know, Alaska is huge; it's the size of BC, British Columbia, and the Yukon. Um, if you want to use that as an example. And, you know, not all parts are created equally. There are protective parts. There's beautiful places and mining should not be there. <laughs> you know, there, you know, you, you don't, you know, there's, um, you know, there's the Denali mountain range. There's the, the salmon fisheries as well that, that takes place. And um, so, you know, they are open to mining and obviously depending where, but the, the government is, you know, they're, they're a Northern community and they're dependent on natural resources. And when it comes to native corporations, yeah, it, it, it depends on who you're dealing with and where their, their lands are situated. And for the most part, we've had nothing but a, a positive experience. Um, there's seven producing mines in, in the state. Um, we had a, a, about two years ago, there was probably about six producing companies that moved into the state. So it's definitely getting on people's radars. And when you look at, if you're a VP or you're an executive of a mining company and you're tasked with finding the next tier one deposit, there's only so many places you can look and, you know, everyone's appetite for risk is getting, it's, it's just getting, it's shrinking by, by the minute. You know, you want to go into a stable, predictable jurisdiction. If it's in a first world, even, you know, that can be even considered better. So I, I think Alaska is definitely coming on the, on, on the radar for, for many people. And a lot of people just don't understand it. Although you hear Alaska, they think, you know, Eskimos or whatever else, uh, you know, Northern climate. Um, but it, it's not like that. Uh, I mean, it's like that to some extent, but, uh, you know, it, it has a lot of pluses. So um, I'm all for it. And I, I think it's every year we can see the expenditures in the state actually going back up with, uh, you know, over time here. So Okay. Um, and how many meters are you sort of looking to – uh, planning to drill um, this year, you know, at least five thousand meters. You know, so it's a, you know, it's, a, it's a decent sized program. It's not like you know, fifty thousand meters, but you know, given our, our treasury and, and our targets, you know, this is 
you know, if we have success, then, you know, we'll look to uh, ramp that up accordingly. Okay. Um, looking at some uh, material around uh, Tektronic, um, mm-hmm. you describe the company as a shift in the game. Mm. What do you mean by that? Okay, great, great question. I think it goes back to just, you know, like the genesis of the company and, you know, bringing something different to, to the to the exploration space. So that involves like every aspect. So if we start with the people, well, let's just not make it the, you know, the all boys club and pick my friends as directors and that's that sort of thing. Let's actually start with handpicking, you know, when you look at the different skill sets within a junior mining company, you know, what do we need? So we, we actually have an environmental biologist on our board. She's been involved in the permitting of nine mines. She's a female, you know, it, when I, not that it matters on the female part, but you know, what it matters is her skill and her talent and what she brings to the table. And she brings a different perspective. That's what I love about her. Like most people, most companies are just, okay, pick the best mining people or best explorationist, a capital person. This, But we're like, okay, well, sustainability ESG is, is important. It's in our DNA. So let's start with that. Um, you know, we, we looked at, um, you know, our chairman, for example, is in the Indigenous Hall of Fame. You know, he's also of Indigenous descent. And, you know, so the shift was around the people, starting with the people first, and let's all actually have a meaningful ownership position in the company. So we've participated in every every financing we own on a partially diluted basis, just over 25% of the company. You know, so we're, we're all in. And then we looked at, okay, let's actually have a business model. You know, so the shift is about, you know, not just about a drill play or, or get a project. Um, we're like, okay, let's actually build a business model. Um, the shift also involves working, um, building relationships with with all with major mining companies, with uh, people on the ground, with our native partner. So our projects are situated on native owned land for the most part, and we uh, we actually said, okay, let's you know, as far as the shift is concerned, let's not wait till the feasibility stage, and then we have to negotiate IBAs, so impact benefits agreement, and you know, and, and there's multiple things at play. Um, let's actually look at it from the forefront and that's actually form a full-scale production agreement and in that agreement let's actually talk about ESG let's actually talk about reclamation so are these agreements have actually reclamation components in it um, preferential hiring local hiring um, you know utilizing uh, doyon entities for example um, when possible we actually we, we also said let's say let's have scholarship contributions so we're, we're trying to at the beginning, not when the prize has already been established, actually, you know, make a difference in the community. So we, we actually have a few different scholarships that we we contribute to, and we, we're going to start as well. Um, the shift also involves like the approach to um, project acquisition. We go meet the locals before we acquire a property. You know, when possible. You know, not not every project's next next to a local community, but let's let's de-risk the project from that perspective. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's all elements of the business and, um, you know, even just our stance, even right now, um, a few months ago, you know, we put out a, an anti-racism, uh, policy, uh, well, state position statement, I should say, and we're beefing up our policies, you know, just really trying to, trying to bring a breath of fresh air to the entire space. Yeah. Um, obviously talking about the, the subject of, um, ESG, um, mm-hmm. why do you feel, that Tectonics Metals um, strong has a strong commitment to um, ESG um, and its value to investors. I think we do because it's you know going back to the people within this organization. We've all been like we looked at our past experiences, 
And I tell you, man, there's nothing more rewarding than, than, you know, working with the locals and having, when you mentioned the company name, that they actually, it brings a smile to their face. And we've also been on the other side where we're trying to push a project through and we're facing, you know, no, they weren't our companies. We worked for people at that time, uh, other, other organizations. And, you know, they're, they're giving us blowback because, uh, you know, we didn't engage or we didn't do this. So, you know, for us, it, it was, um, it was something that at the inception, we recognized that, you know, if we don't deal with this at the forefront and make a commitment to it, it could come back and bite us in the ass. And it's also the right way to do business. Um, like I said, Allison is on, she's a director um, of Tectonic and she's an environmental biologist. You know, we all as outdoor, as people who explore, you know, the common thread with explorationists is that we love the outdoors. We love the nature. We love the environment. So, um, you know, how can we, how can we have the two coincide peacefully? So we, we do that. Um, you know, we, we look at the projects um, before we acquire them and say, okay, what are the, what are the um, environmental hurdles we have to overcome? And is it worth it? And do we want to be that company that does this, right? We don't want to, we don't want a project next to a, a national park or within a national park and so on and so forth. You know, that's just not our cup of tea. So <clears throat> ESG was just, just important because, because A, it, it can cause a lot of headaches going down the road. B, it's the right thing to do. Uh, C, we're all passionate about the environment, passionate about the people in the local communities. Um, to this day, we, I think we have a bit of a legacy in the Yukon, if I can be so bold, where, you know, you mentioned Kamenak and, and people say, oh, yeah, they created the scholarship. We actually have a, a, a college program, environmental monitoring program that Allison was involved with. I was also involved with. Actually, we were all involved with, but Allison was the spearhead of that initiative that's now continue, continuing on. Um, so <clears throat> these are all positive things, and we're really passionate about our industry. And so we we want to we want to make sure that it it's represented uh, properly in the uh, public eye. And so that's why ESG is kind of really important to us. Yeah, certainly. Um, what's the one thing you think investors um, should understand more about um, the company's projects? That's a great question. Um, I, I, you know, everyone always focuses to the, the opportunity, like the drilling opportunity or the production opportunity. No one really talk. I mean, they talk a bit, but, you know, I think they should definitely focus on, on, on the risk and ask them, you know, what is their, you know, ask them about their ESG. Um, you know, what are they doing on the front? Ask them, have they met the locals? Are they working with the locals? And um, I actually think it'd be wise to ask uh, if you were an investor to, to ask the company if you could speak to, their indigenous partners or the local communities. And in our case, you know, anybody wants to speak to the VP or the CEO of Doyon, they've readily told us that they're, they make themselves available. And, and also to the local villages, there's a, a chief we, we have a partnership with there. And, um, and she, she would make herself available to speak. So I, I think that, you know, you can take my word for it or you can actually go right directly and hear it from the horse's mouth. You know, what do they think? So I, I think investors need to address, um, you do more due diligence on the risk side because ultimately as a project gets advances, that that the importance of that gets greater and greater and greater. And if you can sew that up in the beginning, then obviously it's a much more streamlined process. So that, that would be my two cents on what investors should be potentially focusing on. Yeah, certainly. Um, and as a conclusion, I wonder mm -hmm. if you can give us an outlook uh, of of the company over the next uh, three to five years, I'd say. 
Okay, well, <laughs> um, you know that that's a that's a great question. It's it's also you know part of our project when we acquire projects, we actually have a three year plan with every okay. project. But but as a as a as a whole as a company, you know, um, I'm I'm obviously betting on having some success with the drill bit this year. So you know you know expect uh, a lot of news flow drill results from those projects. And you know I can't say everything's going to be a slam dunk and. You know, we're going to assess the results and go forward. We also have a healthy uh, project pipeline of, of ideas and opportunities in front of us. So, you know, in three to five years, I would like to see these these targets get drill tested, possibly turn into meaningful deposits, um, see some new project acquisitions in the pipeline and also additional partnerships with whether it's with um, uh, large mining companies or with um, with other native corporations or our existing native corps to see that relationship unfold in something greater and more meaningful. You know, in three to five years time, I'd, I'd love to have a, you know, a, a mineral resource estimate on our projects and be advancing towards, um, you know, PEA or feasibility study and have a few different partnerships um, or joint ventures under our belt. And um, yeah, you know, hopefully have visibility on something becoming a mine. Yeah, certainly. Um, Tony, really appreciate your time. Um, obviously providing us uh, um, an overview of uh, tectonic metals and um, obviously an overview of Alaska as well. So, and I'll take it, it is, an, or I suppose, an unexplored uh, jurisdiction to, mm. to a greater extent. Um, and there seems to be a lot of opportunities. So um, if any of our audience wants to reach out to you, um, how can they go about doing that? And are you across any social media platforms, you or, or the company? Yeah, most most definitely. You know, on the social media front, um, you know, we're on uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook, that sort of thing. And, you know, it's Tectonic Metals Inc. Our ticker symbols, uh, T-E-C-T, on the TSX Venture. We also have a, a, a U.S. Um, OTCQB listing T E O T E T O F is the <clears throat> the, um, the initials there, and um, www.tectonicmetals.com, and you can also email us us at uh, info at tectonicmetals.com. You know, if you want to get a hold of us, and we're always open to conversations and questions. So, you know, I mentioned you know the relationship aspects of whether at Kamenak or, or or amongst ourselves. That's been like a, a real. Uh, I, you know, something I, I really hold dear to my heart and building relationships with shareholders and potential investors is also awesome. So I'm always readily available. And on our website, you can actually book a meeting directly with me. Um, love talking to the people. And that's, you know, because of COVID and, the, you know, no one's traveling right now. It's something that we miss, you know, not being able to go to London and meet the people there, not going to, you know, your other parts of Europe or down in North America. So, you know, this is this is the avenue we have right now. So we, we have to make the best of it. And, um, you know, love uh, to, to chat with uh, anyone. Yeah, certainly. And that's how we can obviously do this podcast uh, mm-hmm. yes. recording as well over Zoom. So, um our audience, um, hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, and please feel free to reach out to Tony, especially if you want to find out more about Alaska, because like, like I mentioned, it's probably a relatively undeveloped um, jurisdiction in terms of mining. And there's probably a lot of many opportunities. So um, if you've got any questions, um, hopefully Tony can uh, Tony can answer them. So uh, appreciate all the listeners. If you can um, share and like this episode, if you're watching on the podcast, uh, sorry, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, if you can mm-hmm. like and share below um, and people listen to the podcast, appreciate it as normal if you can um, share this episode out with your friends, family, 
um, other people in the mining industry um, that has an interest in learning, developing and understanding more about our, our mining industry on a global scale. So, um, Tony, really appreciate your time again. I know it's early in the morning. Um, you may want to go back to bed for a few hours, no. but really, really appreciate your time and give us a give us an overview of um, of tecto- uh, tectonic metals. Thank you for having me and um, yeah. pleasure meeting you as well. And uh, I really enjoyed this. It was, it was great. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. And I appreciate your time. And until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.